This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm going to be talking about confidence. Confidence is such a huge part of life, and it really does determine you know, your ability to be able to go after certain things in your life. If someone doesn't have a lot of confidence, they may not go after certain things that they really want to do because they're insecure. So if we can practice healthy ways to bring more confidence into our lifestyle, that'll be something that will help us achieve more and be more true and better to ourselves, really to everybody that we cross paths with. Confidence can be defined by that feeling which The mind embarks in great and honorable courses with sure hope and trust in itself. That's a quote by Marcus T. Cicero. There's a ton of self-help books and workshops these days, you know, and we live sort of in a self-obsessed age, really being kind of self-absorbed. You know, I feel like society really perpetuates that sort of idea. However, the quote from this Roman politician and philosopher shows the idea of confidence and its importance has a long pedigree. You know, as confidence is so central to what we achieve in life, inevitably, it has been a key term used by people involved in outward action-oriented activities such as sports, enterprise, business, and public speaking. I know growing up as a dancer, getting used to building my confidence on stage for performances and competitions definitely helped serve in other areas of my life, and especially when it came to doing more public speaking or even just giving presentations or things like that when I was growing up in school became something that definitely did not stress me out that much. And I wouldn't mind, you know, getting up in front of a crowd of literally thousands of people and doing stuff. Indeed, mental preparation to enhance an athlete's confidence is at the heart of growing discipline of sports psychology. So what is confidence? Confidence is a word we frequently use in everyday language, yet rarely do we stop and think about what it really means. Most dictionary definitions of confidence focus on two related ideas. Confidence is about being certain in your own abilities, and also confidence is about having trust in people, plans, or the future. Confidence is thus not simply having a feeling that these things will go well, but also a judgment on our own or others' abilities. When the abilities in question are our own, having confidence suggests a high level of self-assurance. Since confidence involves the belief that things will turn out well, confidence may sometimes be used interchangeably with optimism. However, they really are not the same thing. Confidence is really a multidimensional concept. It is not a term much used by psychologists, however. Indeed, 
you know, the academics who are most likely to use the term are economists. Confidence is a key concept in economics as confidence is necessary both to investment and the operation of the markets. Instead of confidence, psychologists are more likely to use terms which may still be difficult to define but are more focused in a different way. The most commonly used terms by psychologists are self-esteem, self-efficacy, and optimism. Self-esteem is a little bit of a slippery concept. However, there is a general agreement that there are two broad ways to define and measure self-esteem. One is to see it as the evaluation a person makes of their capabilities, and the other is to see it as the essentially emotional feeling an individual has about their self-worth. I'm going to talk about self-esteem in another episode, but for the purpose of this episode, I feel like it's worth saying here that self-esteem has some importance in life, but the claims made for it have been exaggerated. More importantly, what practitioners have done to the name of self-esteem, particularly in the USA, appears to be undermining young people's well-being, and we must be careful not to repeat these mistakes. Since confidence is more about belief in one's capabilities, taking action, and being optimistic, we can effectively ignore self-esteem and concentrate on these more important dynamic ingredients of confidence. Psychologists use other related concepts to describe the emotional judgment a person makes about themselves, such as self-acceptance, self-worth, or self-respect, and have huge and heated debates about the precise meaning of these terms. One vital difference in the underlying ideas, no matter what nomenclature psychologists use, is whether the positive feeling about the self is linked to abilities or simply a sense that at heart you are a worthwhile person. Now, I can speak from experience in regards to this in that there were times in my life where I felt like my self-worth was wrapped up in my abilities to certain degrees, and this is something that would ebb and flow and would change over time. Throughout my experience as a dancer, as a yogi, and progressing into veganism, these are things that I feel like aid in my confidence, but there were times also that they would be destructive to my confidence. And there were a lot of cognitive distortions that would have affected my ability to think clearly on these matters. But I think in the long term, how I view these things is that they really have contributed to my confidence in the grand scheme of things. Being a dancer and being able to express myself through dance, being able to learn a lot of different dance styles and practice a lot of different ways of moving my body as well as through yoga, learning different breathing techniques, ways to concentrate, ways to use my body and to heal my body from stress and injuries and to stretch and strengthen. Many different areas of my body using yoga has been very empowering. And by eating more plant-based foods, I feel more confident in who I am as a person. I feel confident that I'm contributing to the planet and taking care of my own health and not contributing to the suffering of animals in such a way where I'm I'm living in a more conscious way. So that does contribute to my confidence. However, there may be times where my worth was caught up in those things. And I'm glad now that I have been able to practice for years now that that's not something that I attach to. I do feel like a worthwhile person and I do see that in other people that they're worthwhile 
people, regardless of whatever their past is, whatever their present is, and whatever their future may be. You know, really being able to see past a lot of the facade that's put up and just see through to the spirit of a human being and appreciate that because everybody deserves to feel confident. But I feel like there are certain choices which we can make for ourselves and only we know what those are that will help support that mindset. And when we make those choices to support that mindset, then we can live our lives in such a way that makes the world truly a better place from a place of being self-fulfilled initially and really taking care of intrinsic happiness and not really seeking validation from other people, but validating ourselves and having that that trust with ourselves to be able to move forward and go make decisions in life that will be prosperous for us and not be too concerned about other people's opinion about it. So moving on to self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is the term that psychologists use to describe the belief a person has that they can reach their goals. So this is like your ability to be able to conceive what you can achieve. Because sometimes people are like, oh no, like I'm totally not even capable of doing that. I could never even imagine myself accomplishing something. So self-efficacy is just really being able to see what you're capable of and believing that you're capable of something. Unlike self-esteem, which is more of a global judgment on the self and its worth, self-efficacy typically specifically isolates the way an individual assesses their competence in relation to achievements, goals, and life events. You know, there are things that can contribute to our self-efficacy and how our psychology around self-efficacy is really shaped. And some research on self-esteem really does suggest that parents, through genetics as well as parenting styles, have the biggest influence on a young person's self-esteem. You know, I feel like I've had many friends, you know, getting to the point where I have in my life, I've had friends throughout, you know, my younger years, through college and after that in my professional life. And, you know, we have conversations, you know, I have conversations with my friends and my peers about things from their past. And you you start to learn like parents have a really important influence on the growth of a child. If you are a parent, it's important to remember that you have an opportunity to be a positive light in a child's life and that there are parenting styles that will foster competence and will foster self-efficacy by helping children have a healthy self-esteem level. I know that I do this through my teaching style when I'm working with my children that are my students. If they may be doing something that's a little bit off or they're not quite getting something, I don't talk down to them and make it seem like they're incapable of achieving whatever I'm asking them to do because I wouldn't be asking them to do it or offering the the particular movement or choreography to them unless I truly believe they were capable of it. So I feel like that's where it's my responsibility to be constructively critical and help them address, you know, these are the things that you're doing that are not helping you achieve this and this is what we can change and modify so that you are able to do this. And, you know, there's shared responsibility in that. But I think when it's handled in a very calm and constructive, positive way, that's when you get better results. If you're just, you know, unjustifiably shaming 
kids or, you know, people that you work with or people in your life and there is an issue and you're just not being very constructive about it, then that's really where there's a breakdown. As leaders, as mentors, as parents, as teachers, we have opportunities to be a positive light in children's lives and young adults' lives and in anybody's life, really. People are not always going to be on the same page. People are not always going to have super high confidence levels 100% of the time. It's actually very unreasonable to even expect that. This is something that can waver between you know percentages and, and it's something that ebbs and flows and that's okay. Really what we can do to be a positive influence in people's life is to be as objective and constructive as possible. That way there are tools available to whoever you're trying to teach or mentor that they can go back to and that they can see in a constructive way and not necessarily have emotional hangups or attachments or triggers surrounding those things. Because I think if a child's yelled at to do something or they see something in a really negative light, then that might kind of push them down a road of rebellion rather than being accepting and motivated to kind of create change and practice being more confident in their own skin. Because this is something that will affect and does affect people later on down the line in other areas of their life. You know, if you have a parent that is constantly berating a child and, you know, questioning their appearance, questioning their abilities, questioning their grades, and really putting them down a lot, even though they're trying their hardest— there might be a lot of resentment and there like might be a lot of fear and there might be a lot of, you know, disconnect between the parent and child. However, if you're using positive, like nonviolent communication, which is actually a book, I, the name of the author is escaping me at this point, but nonviolent communication is something that can really, really assist in healthier communication between parents and children, between people in general. It's a very, very useful tool, and I highly recommend that book. Using that type of communication style can lead towards more progress rather than creating a lot of insecurities because no one likes to be talked down to. And it, regardless of how thick your skin is, taking criticism can be difficult, and it's not always the most comfortable thing. So how it's delivered and the intent behind how it's delivered makes a huge difference. So it is something that we can be conscious of in our relationship with ourselves as well as our relationship to others. Now, optimism, on the other hand, is a little bit different. You know, in everyday life, we use the word optimism to reflect positive feelings about life. And often we refer to someone who's optimistic as seeing the glass half full rather than half empty. You know, I kind of Whenever I hear that analogy, and this is like a little bit random, but whenever I hear that analogy, I always think to myself, the glass is full. It's half full with water and it's half full with air. So there you go. <laughs> Different way to think about it. But anyways, in psychology, there are two main ways to define optimism. It can be seen as the global generalized tendency to believe that one will generally experience good versus bad outcomes in life. And in everyday language, this sort of means looking on the bright side of life. In such a definition, pessimism is the tendency to believe that if something will go wrong for me, it will. In this way, our own explanatory style or a way of thinking about the causes of things that happen in our lives 
can be a way to think about things a little bit differently. Optimists are those who see adversities as temporary and restricted to one domain of life, while pessimists often see problems as a permanent and pervasive situation. Now, some could say that self-efficacy and optimism, if you like put those together, then you get confidence. So in other words, confidence is an individual's belief that he or she can reach specific goals, plus the general belief that the future is bright. And there are certain points in our life where I feel like this is a little bit more of a difficult concept to grasp than others. Sometimes when we're experiencing high levels of emotional intensity, it may seem we can be either on one end of the spectrum pretty far out there or on the other end of the spectrum where we're super pessimistic. So it's like you can be very optimistic about things or you could be really pessimistic about things depending on which way the emotional intensity is on the spectrum. It is important to kind of bring yourself back to a reasonable, rational place where you can see that there are plenty of things to be grateful for in life and that if we focus on the positives and we are reasonable and rational about looking at the evidence of the situation, not being paranoid about things, not having distorted thinking about things like seeing things are black and white or seeing things as black or white, jumping to conclusions, mind reading with other people, um, having just anxiety about the future. These are things that we can do to prevent the loss of confidence or maybe not feeling as confident as we potentially could be feeling. You know, and there are certain situations that will arise in our life that will test us, that will test our ability to be confident. You know, we might be working really hard towards a goal and it may take a really, really great deal of patience and determination in regards to achieving that goal that we want to go after. And I feel like my training in regards to dance and yoga, really, and especially yoga, I have to say, there are a lot of things that I wanted to achieve in my yoga practice. And I knew it was all within me. I knew that the postures that I wanted to achieve, the mental clarity that I wanted to achieve, all of that was within me, but it would take consistency patience and determination in achieving that. And, you know, it was it was making time for my practice. It was practicing with a greater level of consciousness towards bringing my mind back to the present moment, doing what I could in the moment, not being judgmental towards myself, pushing myself to the best of my ability to do my best for that day in that moment, and not being hard on myself if I wasn't able to complete something or whatever it may be. And that is something that I was able to bring out of the yoga room and into my life or just basically bring it into many different areas of my life. And not that that practice hadn't been there, but it just was a little bit of a way to level up that practice. If an individual's confidence increases, it may well be accompanied by a rise in self-esteem. And some people equate confidence to public speaking. Now, you know, I feel like this is a big mistake. Like one of the biggest mistakes that I think we can make about confidence is that it's associated with being very outwardly expressive. 
and being very extroverted, you know, and teachers and parents can make the idea of confidence out to be something that it is like all about speaking in groups and how you project yourself and how when in all honesty, having worked in the performing arts industry, there are a lot of people that can be very insecure and not have a lot of confidence, but they get very good at putting on a show that they are very confident and that becomes an act. So just because someone acts that way, it does not mean that they're confident. And by that same stroke, there are plenty of performers that I have known that are extremely humble, that are very introverted, but they also can go on stage and have an incredible amount of confidence, incredible amount of attention to detail, artistry, excellent performance quality towards their work, and really be engaging to watch, but it's a little bit more subtle. It's more, it's like quiet confidence. And I think that's actually an award one of my students got this year as an extra award at a competition was, I think it was quiet strength was the one that she got. And it was for one of her contemporary routines. You know, the choreography behind that routine really was something that, that built, you know, she kind of starts out in that routine feeling really overwhelmed and the music, it all goes with that. But I mean, there's a sense of overwhelm in the beginning. And as the song progresses, she gains confidence and strength. And it's something that grows as the music sort of crescendos and intensifies. You know, that's also something that can be in a performer. You know, but I work with some people that have that natural ability to be really incredible performers and put on a show and it's very like, you know, musical theater Broadway style and they're doing huge facials and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just because someone does that doesn't, it's, it's not a reflection of their confidence level. It can come from a place of confidence, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it comes from a place of confidence. It's it's difficult to determine that just by looking on the outside. I've known plenty of people that have a more introverted confidence and they don't feel like they need to be over the top or anything like that. It's It's much more, I guess, refined in a subtle way and that's okay to have that kind of confidence too. I think people think that in order to be a confident person that you're supposed to talk really loud and put this image out there of yourself that you it might not even really be who you are. That might be confidence for some people, but there are many different facets of confidence. So to sum it up, pretty much confidence is not a type of activity or a way of acting. It's an individual's belief that they can reach their self-determined goals and that their future is bright. Now, some may say, why does it even matter to be confident? If you can get stuff done, you can get stuff done. And why does it matter that you have confidence at all? Well, given the confidence formula that we sort of talked about, which is bringing self-efficacy together with optimism, it's easy to see why confidence matters to young people. There are a lot of young people today on social media. I have, you know, fifth and sixth graders of my students that have Instagram and Snapchat accounts. When I think back to when I was that young and engaging with social media, I think MySpace was starting to become something that was a little bit more popular at that time. However, it is a little bit different. You know, it is something that when you take a step back and look at it from a totally different perspective, we are experiencing a different generation of children 
and this generation of youth is really experiencing something that prior generations don't have that same exact experience with. We don't know what it's like to be at their brain development level and be putting images of themselves out on the internet. You know, in a lot of ways, this can be a source of confidence for a lot of kids. The amount of likes or followers that they have that might contribute to their self-worth or their confidence level. And maybe sometimes when they don't get the result that they want or they compare themselves to other people, this affects their ability to be confident. And it's a normal thing. I feel like for most people, it's normal to want to compare yourself to other people. But at the same time, it is also our responsibility to check ourselves and be aware of when we're doing that and bring ourselves back to a place where we're not doing that type of behavior because it really is destructive in a lot of ways. I feel like it's important for our youth to really have the message of confidence drilled in in the sense that it is not from an external place. You know, those who are confident in society will find it easier to try new things and be more open to learning, relish challenging taking risks, risk making mistakes and not feeling bad about it, express themselves as individuals, say that they don't understand and ask for help if they need it. And they'll probably have a better ability to concentrate and not be sidetracked by fear or failure. The reality is in life, we will go through things that will test us and change our ability. You know, we will go through things that we might equate as mistakes or slip-ups or learning experiences that we will learn from or have opportunities to learn from. However, if we're able to see the positive in the situation and move forward from it rather than be really, really negative and harshly criticize ourselves and put ourselves down and make ourselves seem like we're so much worse than we are when in actuality making quote unquote mistakes is part of being human. You know, we have opportunities to learn and grow from those things. And to be honest, they may not be mistakes at all when you connect the dots in hindsight. I feel like the most important thing about the concept of mistakes is that if you feel that that's what is happening, that you are able to turn it around and learn a lesson from that particular event. I feel like confidence is something that is becoming more important in society at large being that there are so many platforms that contribute to social anxiety and heightened stress as well. One of the reasons or some of the reasons why I feel like confidence is more important in modern societies is that in the past there was little space for people to make decisions as individuals. Much of life was dictated by survival, either finding and cooking food or maintaining a roof over one's head and you just needed to do what needed to be done and use the things that were convenient or available to you in order to do that. And there was some there was some scope for innovation and resourcefulness particularly when things were scarce, but much of what people did in life was dictated by tradition. So there are certain recipes that go back a while, there are certain traditions that go back a while because this is just what people did, what people wore, what people ate. You know, this is what was you know and when rural life began to break down and many people migrated to towns they were often employed in factories or warehouses or shops and offices and course society has things were a bit more hierarchical in the past than they are today 
you know, employees maybe had a different level of respect for managers and accepted that they should carry out orders without question. So in the past, people's lives were mapped out for them and they acquired attitudes rather in such an environment, self-confidence hardly mattered because people really kind of viewed that this is their, you know, assigned role in life and they just need to carry that out and do it well, sort of like people's um, dharma. You know, if you think about it in the concept in Indian society, a person's dharma is what they're supposed to do. That's their role in life and that's what they're meant to carry out. And this made people's lives fairly predictable and there was little space for personal choice, really. And of course, there were times when self-confidence would have helped an individual to face up to life's challenges, but most people had to do things whether they felt confident or not. It didn't really matter. It was like, you need to shovel the snow outside of your driveway or you're not going to be able to get out. You need to do this job to earn money to make, you know, a living to be able to provide food for your family and pay your rent. There wasn't really an option. It didn't really matter whether you liked your job or not. Um, You know, a young bride might have left her community for another even though she felt underconfident and ill-equipped for the ordeal because she felt like it was her duty. Or a young soldier might have gone to war even though he felt fearful, again, because it was his duty as dictated. You know, in earlier societies governed by duty and tradition, there were some There was some element of choice for individuals, but it was really limited. A minority bucketed the system and refused the life that was on offer. And no doubt self-confidence was a personal characteristic that served them well. You know, a lot of people lived lives and they had very predetermined tracks. They steamed ahead not because they felt confident or courageous, but because their ancestors had helped them had helped to set them on the course that they were now traveling. And indeed, when a person's life is set in such a way, self-confidence is not only unimportant, it is irrelevant because those who conformed in this traditional world were accepted because they knew their place and they expected to be effective if they performed things in time-honored ways. You know, oftentimes those kind of boundaries and traditions made people feel a little bit more safe. And they knew what to expect. And they were like, okay, if I do this or that, then this will be the result. And again, it goes back to human nature in regards to our wanting to try to feel in control of things and predict the future and alleviate stress and anxiety and things like that. So this all really stems from wanting to have the confidence come from more of a place like that. But I mean, now we live in such an entrepreneurial society And a lot of people have access to all kinds of information. I know one of the things that helped me a lot was being able to be exposed to um, a lot of different information in regards to being vegan. I actually had no idea what it really meant to be vegan about 10 years ago. Now it's, it's something that I'm able to see a lot more of because it's not something that's talked about too much in the mainstream media. But 
through channels like social media in, um, you know, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, just, you know, searching on Google, people's blogs, like people talk about it a lot more and there's a lot more information about it and it's more accessible and it's a lot more doable. It's not like some freaky hippie type of thing where it's very strange. Like it's actually very mainstream and very accessible and very, very doable and very healthy. You know, few can even live in that world that we used to kind of live in as, you know, we were enculturated as a society to believe certain norms. You know, they may hanker after its authority, certainly and predictably, but, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it seems kind of like that's so far in the past that it's almost gone forever. A lot of human societies have always had to evolve and adapt to changing circumstances. And I feel like in the present time, that's definitely the case. Industry and technology have changed dramatically through the ages and especially in the last 10 years. And this is why we can talk about an industrial revolution, not only in the 18th century, but that's continued on since that time. Society has never been completely predictable. You know, wars, famine, plague, and changes in technology really are a testament to that. But, you know, there's still an explanation that life, there's still an expectation that life should be predictable, (laughs) which is pretty unreasonable to think. You know, that a son could follow in his father's footsteps, a daughter could benefit from their mother's and even grandmother's experience. And that expectation has really gone. Um, You know, for me personally, it's like there are a lot of things that I learned from a lot of different people beyond my family members and Um, There's a lot of things that I've learned from my biological, you know, heritage in regards to being half Iranian and growing up in America, growing up in San Diego. It's very different than what my ancestors and my parents experienced. You know, they're not native. They're not from here. My mom's from Wisconsin. My dad's from Iran. So, you know, it's like I have a totally different really um, mindset and a very different upbringing, a very different culture growing up. So, I feel very much like I've been able to separate and individuate from that culture, take the positive things from it, um, but at the same time, really build my confidence in other ways. I'm not confident in who I am because I come from a certain past or uh, that I come from a certain part of the world or whatever, like really, again, it goes back to that belief in myself and my ability to believe in my own success and to be able to achieve things in my life. And really, as far as any kind of external or biological factors, psychological factors, I mean, it really, I feel like that's where it all starts. You know, now I feel like it's as if we're living in a change machine that has slipped into fast forward. Everything is sped up. You know, whether it's right or wrong, generations now feel they need to grow up in different worlds and with different attitudes, behaviors, as well as expectations. And these tracks laid by previous generations to guide us through this life have really become obsolete. Indeed, they are barely discernible. You know, a lot of people don't really bring those ideas of culture into their lives now because they take on a very personal style of living, you know, and it's a little bit more eclectic. I can speak for myself that I feel like, again, there are things that I take from the culture of my heritage. However, it's not the only thing that I keep in consideration. I like exposing myself to different kinds of religions and understanding other people's perspectives and 
seeing the beauty in a lot of different things and learning from all of that, as well as making it a modern application or finding a modern application of those tools that have been passed down through different customs and traditions of different cultures. You know, really in this world, we all must find our own way and become self-energizing and self-steering entities. And confidence is no longer a nice-to-have option. It's actually essential. In the past decade, there have been a lot of different books on global and technological, spiritual, and political change. And this is affecting not just society and organizations, but the individuals within them. It is possible to outline the various ways human society and individuals themselves are being transformed through technological and other developments and link this to the increased importance of confidence. All we can do here is point out some of the big landmark changes which you know mean that self-confidence is related to characteristics that now have some something of a survival type value. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, you need to be putting yourself out there on social media. You need to have an Instagram or a YouTube or a Facebook account. For some people, that's it's not even really something that they want to do. It's not a tool that they really want to use. They don't want to have to post constantly and be engaging with people constantly. It's not something that they want to be doing because it may take away from their ability to engage with life in the way that they want to engage with life. And for some people, if they're using social media, that can also be a trigger for comparison, competition, control, and, um, you know, lack of feelings of confidence, to be honest, if it's not really being used in an appropriate way. But if we are able to use it in an appropriate way, then it can be a positive tool. So some of the reasons why confidence has become more important is that there's an increase in choice and opportunities. You know, nowadays people have a lot more choices in life. They can take an entrepreneurial route. They can literally make YouTube videos from home and make money from doing that, doing really whatever they want. I mean, there's gamers, there's people that do eating shows, there's people that just talk about DIYs, do makeup videos. I mean, really anything. People can just put themselves out there and it's a way to share themselves authentically, things that they care about and for them to be financially reimbursed by that. <clears throat> and they can make a living off of doing that. A lot of, you know, people do. You know, this this can affect like whether people want to get married or have children, how they spend their free time. And it literally, you know, as well as literally millions of consumer choices people face with every day. I mean, you don't have to buy something that's manufactured from a department store. You can go on a site like Etsy and buy a really personalized product that's made from somebody that you may respect or have, you know, another kind of connection to and choose to support that. You know, you don't have to buy animal products, maybe. You can buy things that are not made from leather that might have a similar look. So you don't have to do maybe what society wanted you to do as much in the past. Many people are excluded from such choices because they have little money, but even the unemployed living on benefits have more choice in their daily lives now than previous generations had. You know, now there's things like EBT, coins, you know, people that are even living on welfare are able to access fresh produce and go to farmer's markets because that's something that has been made available to them. In the past, you know, they might have had a very limited selection of things that they were even able to eat. 
you know, paradoxically, more choice does not necessarily add up to more well-being, but can actually undermine it. The more conscious we are of the goals that are meaningful to us, and again, acting in support of our value system, being clear on what our values are and acting in service to that, this will allow us to be more able to resist being undermined by the proliferation of choice. The proliferation of choice. There's also the concept of mass media and social comparisons. People oftentimes measure themselves against other people who were not that different, so the comparison seems realistic or attainable. Or sometimes they do compare themselves to people that are very different. Being exposed to mass media, social media, you can see people that you know, you might be able to sit in the intimacy of your own home and compare yourselves with people who may have more or less than you. You may compare yourself to people that seemingly are more beautiful or their body looks different than yours and you may just think that you need to look like them or something. Also, this goes for men and women. Men are not necessarily immune to the damaging effects of the comparison game. A lot of the times they feel like if they see another guy who's achieved a lot, they feel like, well, I should you know, be achieving those things too. Maybe I should have a nicer car or a nicer house or look better or whatever. You know, And social comparisons not only damage our sense of self, but our mental health and also our relationships, not only with ourselves and other people. They can really lead us to feel dissatisfied with our partners and our life. You know, yet again, the more we can do to focus on the personal goals we have in life, the less likely we are to be distracted and undermined by the mass media. You know, another thing is that our personal lives have been transformed in the recent years. So has the world of work. You know, much has been written about the decline of the old smokestack industries such as coal, engineering, and shipbuilding, and the rise of high-tech communications industries, especially in, like, Silicon Valley. You know, there's so much tech. I remember when I lived in San Francisco during between 2014 and 2016, that that was a time where I was living downtown in San Francisco, literally on 3rd and Mission Street, and um, and it was and it was an exciting time to be able to work in the financial district, to be going out at night to meet people that were in all these tech companies and startups and uh, different operations, people creating different apps, products, and services that were meeting very new needs that were just you know emerging, and they were creating markets of where they were creating a demand for a certain type of product, even. So I mean, it's that is such such a interesting thing to see in our society so many people are i mean like every time i go out anywhere whether i'm at the mall the grocery store like just walking around like people are always on their phones like even going out to dinner and stuff like in the grocery stores like people are always on their phones it's wild and there are a lot of ways that people are making the use of the phone to be much more convenient but at the same time i feel like we have to be conscious in regards to how that's actually affecting our life. There has been a huge growth in technology, but we also must register how unpredictable working life is now for many people. It was not always so. In the past, many followed in their father's or even grandfather's footsteps, but these days, people are really kind of pursuing what they feel called to do, which I think in a lot of ways is beautiful. 
Nonetheless, it is easy to make too much of the disappearance of a job for life type of thing. You know, some people, they they feel like they're going to go to school, they're going to go to college, they're going to have a job, they're going to stay at that job for 30 or 40 years, develop a pension, a 401k, and then retire when they're 60 or 70 years old, and then, you know, enjoy the rest of their life and stuff. And so that's kind of something that we saw more with the baby boomer generation, but with millennials, it's a different situation. You know, nowadays there are few school leavers who could walk into a job confident that they would be able to see them through to retirement. In reality, many people continue to work for long periods of time, if not their whole working lives. You know, in the same industry and profession, teachers, social workers, civil servants, lawyers, people in these type of positions. And this isn't like a blanket type of term like or even concept. I mean, people are capable of creating whatever kind of life that they want. But the truth of the matter is this is an idea that a lot of people do tend to stick by because it offers security and safety in their life and that promotes well-being in a lot of different ways, even if it's not 100% enjoyable 100% of the time. You know, it doesn't mean that they have to, um, it doesn't mean that they're not going to have to deal with great a great deal of change. You know, much of this change is challenging, and as it is about the acquisition and additional skills are usually required over time. Like, oftentimes you have to go to seminars, you have to upgrade your ability to be able to use certain types of technology in the form of different software or hardware. You have to understand how to, you know, change certain things about how you work and integrate more of those advances into your position. You know, for example, if you're an engineer, you might need to learn different types of engineering software that might develop. Like there's always new challenges that are going to arise and new learning curves for things that you'll have to accomplish. It's claimed that we now really live in an information age. And I think this is going to be something that's going to be interesting to see go down in the history books. But I remember having a history instructor when I was in my first couple years of college. We were able to do open book tests and we were able to do open note tests. But our questions were really, really hard and they're very specific so that it wasn't so much about what you could learn and what you could memorize, but he wanted to train us to find the answer because from his perspective, that's what he saw was more important. We live in an age now anybody can look up anything on Google. It's your ability to be able to find the answer more so than know the answer. Ours is really a knowledge type of economy, and this really means that there's a shift in the value away from raw materials and land and other tangible aspects and more towards knowledge and information. You know, there's so many people that are selling ebooks and generating income off of that type of medium where it doesn't even require any physical transaction. It can all be electronically transferred information and money and that exchange happens really without any physical brick and mortar store needing to be purchased. There are so many ways that you can conduct business that are so different than years ago. You know, and for a variety of reasons, the business world is much more competitive than it was decades ago primarily because the public sector is now under increasing pressure to perform and meet targets. This means that oftentimes employers in both sectors are convinced 
that to keep ahead, they must recruit the best possible staff. You know, and typically these days, people are looking for those who are self-motivated and don't need to be told what to do. They're open rather than resistant to change and learning. They're problem solvers with a can-do attitude. They're good at getting along with other people and good at customer relations, have good communication, and they're good team players. These are all really, really important things to be able to foster in your life, no matter what industry you work in, to be honest. You know, and given the importance of confidence, particularly in the new world that we live in, you know, there are actions that we can take to develop confidence that are sophisticated and that genuinely empower young people and are based on strong empirical evidence. You know, the importance of confidence has been recognized by thinkers for centuries, and it is important. Confidence is a multifaceted term used more often in business, sports, and economics than psychology. Psychologists oftentimes prefer terms such as self-esteem, self-efficacy, and optimism as these are more easy to define and thus easier to measure. Confidence can be defined as self-efficacy or the belief that you can reach your goals combined with optimism. Confidence is not about being able to speak in groups. However, confidence is a prime importance for pupils in the classroom. In this modern, fast-moving time that we live in, those who will survive and thrive are those who feel confident that they can adapt to change and learn new skills, as we all will have to do. And in the modern world of work, self-confidence, positive attitudes, and good interpersonal skills matter and are now highly prized by employers. In general, if you want to become an entrepreneur or create your own business, this is something important for that as well. So I hope this episode has given you a little bit more clarity in regards to how you can create more confidence in your life and think about the things that might be holding you back from creating more confidence and practicing a more confident mindset in your life on a more consistent basis because it does affect your day-to-day life and it can affect what you achieve in this lifetime, what you give back to the community in this lifetime, and the quality of your life in this lifetime. When we are confident people, when we collaborate with confident people, and we live in a society of confident people, then we can be a society that uplifts each other, encourages each other, and it just helps everybody be the best they possibly can be. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential.